Welcome to Make No Bones. I'm Toby Altman. And I'm Emily Barton Altman. Make No Bones is a podcast about poets and poetry. Each episode, we ask a poet to read a poem and talk about it. They tell us how they wrote it and explain how it reflects the broader priorities of their work. This week's episode features Rachel Zucker. I'm Rachel Zucker. Rachel is the author of nine books, most recently Mothers and the Pedestrians. She was a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award, and she received a National Endowment for the Arts Fellowship in 2013. She teaches at NYU. We're especially excited to have Rachel on the podcast because she's my former teacher. She recently launched a new poetry podcast called Commonplace, which you should definitely check out. When you read a Rachel Zucker poem, you're not just reading about an experience. You physically share that experience. Her poems investigate the politics of everyday things, like riding the subway and taking care of children. We talked to Rachel about her poem, Once You Pass This Point, You Must Continue to Exit, from her book, The Pedestrians. When I wrote the poems that ended up in The Pedestrians, I was really conscious of wanting to think about how to not just have New York City be kind of like the background music or the backdrop to what was happening in the poems, but how to make the poems feel that they were made of New York City or made of a kind of high density um, urban uh, population feeling. So how how to how to represent the level of engagement intersection. Um, that occurs in New York, um, and particularly in New York. I mean, having lived there my whole life, uh, except for six years, um, how could I make that be really visible in, in the writing? There's a lot in this book about um, people who die. There's a child who dies um, in the book. Um, this poem is about a, a woman who is very important to me. Her name is Peggy Sradnik, um, and she passed away. Um, and when she died, I was in Seattle. She died in New York. Um, I was in Seattle, um, and I had just flown. I was separated from my kids and my husband, um, and I had I flew from Seattle to Denver, where the rest of my kids were, and she died at I, like right at that time. And then I turned around and and flew like a few hours later um, from from Denver to New York for her funeral. So I was in my neighborhood. I was suddenly in New York again, but I wasn't really there. I had to go back to Denver. I was there. I was in New York for less than 24 hours. And I think, as I recall, that that we had um, people who were living in our apartment, so I couldn't even go home. Um, but she, that death and that funeral were so much a part of my life um, in New York. And so it was this very strange confluence of events. Um, I was nursing at the time, so that was also physically I was... I was completely discombobulated to have been to Denver, Seattle, Denver, New York, and having to go back to New York, all while really having this very uh, tangible, literal, physical connection to this child that I was separated from. You know, part of what separates poetry from the pedestrians is also what separates the living from the dead, um, or part of what se- what what my feeling was about this you know, dumb sign in the airport, which was just about security. But, you know, after you pass this point, you must continue to exit. And, you know, what what are those divisions? And that's so much about, uh, you know, what are, what, which is more real, 
um, your dream life or your waking life? Which is more literary, poetry or your dream material? You know, you're not supposed to write poetry about your dreams. You're not supposed to include that stuff. Um, you know, which is more um, significant, um, the weather or elegy? You know, recipes or, you know, the Iliad. Um, uh, nursing a child and the practical and necessary uh, details that are involved in that, which are, which historically have been relegated to the mundane, the banal, the female, the unimportant, um, or some kind of idea of transcendence that either is spiritual or religious or literary or artistic. I started writing poetry in fifth grade. I had been writing, I had been telling stories and talking about, you know, making up songs and stuff um, since I was a kid. And my mother uh, was very encouraging of that and would write down my dreams and would write down my stories and my songs. But in fifth grade, I, I was really having a miserable time of life. My parents were getting divorced. My uh, grandmother, um, who was like the closest person to me, uh, got pancreatic cancer and died pretty quickly. Um, and everything just was falling apart. Um, and I had this great teacher. I hated school. I went to an extremely religious um, yeshiva uh, where I was basically ostracized. I had no friends, didn't fit in in any way. Um, so I, I didn't do well in school. I was constantly getting in trouble. Uh, so in fifth grade, I had this teacher um, who was terrific. And he was my fifth grade teacher and my sixth grade teacher. And he gave us poetry. I had internalized this message that I wasn't good at writing because writing at that time in the school that I went to was about spelling and handwriting, neither of which I was good at. So, but when I got to fifth grade for the first time, my teacher, you know, was like, you know, putting on Paul Simon sounds of silence and like having us turn off the lights and like write whatever we wanted or, you know, write about a color without mentioning the name of the color. And I just loved it. Uh, and it really felt uh, like this is the place where I can say wherever I want to say and there are no rules and no one's going to tell me it doesn't, it's not spelled right. I thought that poetry was just the place where you could break all the rules. So that was great. Um, and, and you could talk about your feelings. Um, and I had a lot of feelings and I basically still write like that. Um, and you know, now I feel like it's so fascinating because actually poetry has more rules in certain ways than any other kind of writing. And I'm really interested in those rules and I'm really interested in what it means. You know, when you break the rules, you're, you're saying that there is a rule. Um, so of course, you know, free verse has so many rules and so many patterns and we're pattern making people or pattern making machines where, you know, that's how we, that's how we hear and see and make language. Um, so I, I get that and I'm, and I've become, you know, more and more interested in what it means to intentionally, uh, make patterns and break patterns. Um, but I think there's still a part of me that, that is still, very attached to the anti-authoritarian rule breaking, say anything you want, place for your emotions. No one can tell you you're wrong, um, type of poetry, um, as, as protest, as personal, as, um, yeah, as nonconformist. 
I've I've always been interested in primarily interested in poetry's ability to explore um, and enact and represent and communicate the ordinary rather than the extraordinary. I think on some level um, I am trying to make the reader feel something rather than just sympathize with me. So if I have a long poem um, about a miscarriage, I don't want the reader to feel okay. Like to the extent that I can, I would like the reader to feel upset. Not just upset for me, not just identify with me, but actually be, let's say, bored. Like, how long is this poem going to go on? It's so annoying. It's so gross. I don't really want to know this medical detail. Guess what? That's what it felt like. So on the one hand, I think um, there are temperamental reasons that my work is so personal and that it is autobiographical. The speaker is me. There's no speaker. There's no poet. Like, it's just me. That doesn't mean that I'm recording my life uh, in a way that is is the way my husband would describe it or my kids would describe it. But I'm not really changing it. I don't know how to make things up. I don't know how to invent things. I think that there is uh, a a, a profound and important... Um, social value to telling the story of one's life. Um, so for me, uh, gender has a lot to do with it and the history of women's voices and the women's movement and the ways in which um, uh, what has been considered literary and what has considered to be of high artistic merit, I would say is, is extremely uh conflated with uh, the critics and the art makers and the taste makers who have defined those values in those terms who have almost entirely been white heterosexual men and so this this like heteronormative idea of transcendence of universality of um, writing about something that's timeless just is extremely exclusive um, to what women's lives are like to what the lives of people of color are like to what you know to what is what has previously been deemed um personal what has previously been deemed unimportant um so i think there's a there there is a social justification for what probably is a temperamental um uh poetics I've always been interested in, in storytelling as a way of um, staying alive and making meaning out of your life. And I am not uh, opposed to storytelling, but at the same time, I think that the reason I'm a poet as opposed to a fiction writer or a memoirist, uh, like a straight narrative prose memoirist, is that I think telling the story of your life Um, is of crucial importance, but it's not accurate unless you are doing something to both represent and enact the fractured nature of experience and the fractured nature of thinking and how do you, in a a purely verbal um, form, how do you get the body into it? How do you get you know, how do you get the mess into it? How do you get the interruptedness into it? Um, so I think that that's it's that it's the tension between those two things that has has like you know been um, defining I guess of of what makes me want to write poems and maybe what what makes my poetry my poetry. Mm-hmm.
I'm going to read a poem from my book, The Pedestrians. It's called, Once You Pass This Point, You Must Continue to Exit. The plane opens its body to me. I am alive. On the plane, in the coffee shop, in bed, in traffic. Among the living, I'm leaking, then cracking open. Here, 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 the alive splinter in me are neighborhood, everywhere. How are you? Alive. How are you? To be this, this, tired, one must be, must be, what do I even like to eat? How are you? She's, I say, the way she said my name, my whole name when I called. These details make life unbearable, and without which, meaningless. This episode of Make No Bones was produced and edited by Toby and Emily Altman in Chicago, Illinois. The music for this episode is by Toby Altman. To find out more about the podcast, check out our website and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. If you like the show, you can subscribe and rate us on iTunes and Stitcher. And please consider writing us a review, too. Join us next time for an interview with Erica Sanchez.